Amen. So I'm going to get into the word. Uh, as we were uh, worshiping, there, there was a line, I'm going to sing in your presence until you come. I'm going to dance in your presence until you come. And there, there are two words that were just resonating in my spirit as we were singing those. Number one is revival. And number two is Maranatha. Revival and Maranatha. We're going to see a revival. I believe this. We're going to see a revival. An unprecedented revival. People coming to the Lord. Amen? And we've got to get our focus on the Lord. We've had our focus on man too long. It's time to get the news channels turned off, social media turned off, all these things that are distracting you and they're discouraging you. We've got a lot of people that are discouraged right now. I want to encourage you because revival is coming. It doesn't, whatever happens politically, whatever happens economically, whatever is happening morally in our culture, the church is going to see revival. Amen? So we need, we need to get our eyes on the Lord. We need to set our focus on the Lord. But my wife was singing about the rain. That rain is coming. God is going to pour his spirit out in these days that we live in. Regardless of what's going on, God is going to move and God is going to have victory. The church, the kingdom is going to advance. Amen? So that needs to be our focus. And we need to focus on the Lord. Maranatha, what does that mean? It means come quickly. The, the, the cry of Maranatha needs to begin to rise from the church. Amen? We, we've hoped too long in man. we put too much confidence in politics uh, that, that the kingdom of Jesus, that he would return and establish his kingdom on planet Earth, that needs to be the cry of our hearts. Amen? And so those, those two words, revival and Maranatha. Amen? We need to sing till he comes, dance till he comes, preach till he comes, give till he comes, witness till he comes, disciple until he comes. And we need to forget about all of the other distractions. Amen? You know, we can preach the kingdom even if we're broke. If the economy collapses, we can keep preaching this kingdom. Amen? Whoever the president is, we can keep preaching this kingdom. Even when they forbid us, they can't stop us, we can keep preaching the kingdom. If they put us in jail, we can have a jail ministry and preach the kingdom in jail. Amen? There's nothing that the enemy can do to stop us. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is my text. Uh, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. Amen. The darkness cannot extinguish the light. We're guaranteed victory. Amen. It's set up. This, this thing is rigged. Rigged better than any election or any game that you've ever been in. This thing is rigged and we're going to win. Amen. We're going to win. So let's look at Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to talk about the ecclesia today. How many of you have heard that term before? The ecclesia. The ecclesia. So it's a Greek word. We're going to have a Greek Bible study today. We're going to learn a lot about Greek, a lot of Greek words today. But we're going to talk about the Ecclesia. And we, we've been talking about God's plan to build his church, God's plan to uh, build his kingdom, and the restoration of the church, the restoration of God's kingdom. And so th this is uh, another building message. We, I think it's an important question. What is God building? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. That's the text that we're about to read. What is it that is being built? So let's look at this, John chapter 16, verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, what's that rock? Jesus. It's not Peter, but it's Jesus. The church isn't built on Peter. It's built on Jesus. It's important that we get that. Jesus is the Christ, and that is the confession that Peter made here. And this is what Jesus is saying. You're, you're, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. He said, he's asking his disciples, who, who do men say that I am? And they're giving him all the answers, everything that people are saying. They're reporting that back to Jesus. But Simon comes with the, the answer that Jesus is looking for. He says, I say that you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. And it's this revelation that is the cornerstone of the church. That Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. That is the cornerstone to this foundation that is being laid, the church of Jesus Christ. Pastor Bill preached about that foundation last week. He preached about really our, our foundation as a church. He did a great job, by the way. Fantastic teaching, fantastic word. There's a foundation that's being laid, and the, the, the cornerstone, the, 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 the basis of this is that Jesus is the Son of God. Everything rises and falls on that. Everything rests on that simple truth. And this is what Jesus is saying to him. He says, on this rock, I will build, that's an important word, we're going to look at it in just a second, I will build my church. And then he makes a couple of statements. The gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen? What is Jesus building? Jesus is building his church. We need, it's important that we understand that he is building it. We've talked about this. We're just under carpenters. We're just subcontractors on the job site. He's the architect. He's the, he is the, the superintendent. He is the master builder. He is the, the overseer of what's being built. Except the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Jesus is building his church. What does that mean? What, what, what is Jesus building? And the word here for build is the word in, in Greek, oikotome. Oikotome, it's a building term. It means to build a house, to erect a building, to build up from the foundation, to restore by building, to rebuild, to repair. Metaphorically, it is to found or establish. This word oikotome, it comes from a Greek word, Greek word oikos, which means a house in, in, the, in the meaning of a family, like the house of David, the house of Abraham, the, the lineage, the, the offspring, the household of a person. That's the basis of this word. And, and I believe that this is a family. What Jesus is building is a family. It is a spiritual house, and we are lively stones built together as a habitation for his presence. We are his household. We are his family. We are his people. He's building the church. He's building his family. Amen? He said, I'm going to oikotome 
my ecclesia. Now, in, in the English Bibles today, we read the word church. I think Tyndale uh, translated this word ecclesia. We, we tra- it's translated in our Bible as church. Tyndale, when he brought his translation, he translated this word as, as assembly instead of church, which is probably a more accurate turn. And I'm not by, by any means recommending today that we dismiss or throw away this word church. I just want us to have a proper understanding of what it really means. Okay? This word church, it, it, it originated probably around 300 A.D., after the time of Christ. And it, and it didn't even come in this form of the word church that we know now. That word has evolved to the word church that we use today. It started out as a word, it was Kyriakon Doma, is the original uh, expression of this word. It's the Kyriakon Doma, which is the Lord's house. And not talking about the Lord, but talking about an emperor or a king. The house of the Lord. That's where this word originally comes from. And it, that word Kyriakon, was, uh, Kyriakon Doma, was eventually shortened to, to Kyriak Doma, then to Kirk Doma, to Kirch Doma. And that was in the German where we get the word Kirch, which is where we get our English word church. So it originates from Kyriakon Doma, a building. And in the American culture, that's what a lot of people think about when they think about the church. They, they say, we're going to go to church. And they think about a building, right? This is a beautiful building. We're blessed to have a beautiful church building. But that's not the true church. Sadly, most Americans think that that is the church. But the church is not a place. The church is actually a people. Now remember this word, church, or Kyriakon Doma, it originated about 300 A.D., after the time of Jesus. But this word ecclesia, the word that Jesus actually used, it preceded Jesus by about 580 years. The first uh, use of this in, in language that we can find is about 500 years, 580 years before Jesus came. And this word ecclesia, it means the called out ones. It means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, It's an assembly convened for the purpose of deliberating, judging, and governing. That brings on a whole new dimension of understanding, doesn't it? It's not a building. It's a people who are called out of their their homes to convene for the purpose of deliberating, judging, and governing. He said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build the people who are called out for the purpose of deliberating, judging, and governing. That's who we are. We are the ecclesia. We are a people who are called out, and it's for a purpose, deliberating, judging, and governing. That's why he says in this this passage of Scripture, I'm going to give you the keys of heaven and whatever you, 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 of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever will be loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's because Jesus intended that his people would be a people of authority. That we would be a body that would come together and convene, and we would carry his authority in this earth. That we would represent his kingdom on planet earth. So let's look at this word ecclesia. It's used throughout scripture. I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, you are a chosen generation. That's you. You're a chosen generation. A royal 
priesthood. That's you, church. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Amen? You are a holy nation. I want to pause on that one. We need to desire the holiness of God. Not in some legalistic, ritualistic way, but that God truly would make us pure, pure in our motives, pure in our heart, and pure in our lifestyle. That we could exhibit his nature on planet Earth. He is holy, and he's called us as a people to be holy. I just want to pause on that. I think it needs to be said today for the church. We are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him, check this out, who called you out. That's the terminology right there. Kaleo humus ek. Kaleo humus ek. Kaleo and ek. That's where we get our word ekklesia, to call out. He has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Let me pause right there and say that we, th this world is not our home. We need to remember that. I love the United States of America. I'm grateful that I live in this great nation. I'm thankful for all the opportunity that it has afforded me. But this nation is not truly the place of my citizenship. My citizenship is in heaven. I am a Christian first, and whatever other title, American or any other title that you want to place on me, that is secondary. I am a Christian first, and my only allegiance is to our King, to our Lord, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. It rests there, and it must rest there. We must not put our confidence in any other kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. That's where it rests. This is not my home. I'm passing through. I'm a sojourner and a pilgrim. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against our soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe. Our good works ought to be observable. And I'm not talking about our, our dress code but that the fruit of the Spirit would ooze out of our life. That's what I'm talking about. That they would see the Spirit of God on the inside of us, the nature of Jesus coming forth out of our lives, and they would observe that, and then they would glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a picture of the ecclesia. He's called us out, out of darkness. We, we were in darkness. We were in sin. Abundance. Do you remember where Jesus brought you from? Do you remember, remember the drunkenness and the debauchery and the addiction and the perversion and the greed and all the lust and filth and corruption of this world that he has brought you out of and called you out of, out of the darkness that overwhelmed your soul and he shined a light down in there and saved you out of that darkness and transfer, transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? He's called us out, amen, of darkness and into the kingdom of his light. He uses, Jesus uses this terminology again in Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. 
It's a play on words here. The word call is kletos. It means to invite. And the word chosen is ekletos, which means to pick out. He has invited some, but not all of them are chosen. Here's a picture to help you understand that. We, we have something here in, called the NFL draft, right? We, and we, they have the, the combine. They go, they go at, most of the time it's held up here in Indianapolis. But they go up there to the, uh, what is that stadium called? Uh, Lucas Field, that's right. So they're, they're there, Lucas Field House. They, they, they're, they're running, they're lifting weights, they're doing all these things to prove to these teams how strong they are, how fast they are, how agile they are. They're going through these drills, excuse me. And, and they're trying to convince a team to invite them to, to, to training, right? To, to try out for the team. See, not everybody who gets drafted on draft day is going to make it to the field on game day. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, many are invited, but not everybody gets picked out. Not everybody's going to make the team. Are you glad that you made the team? He's called all. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. But for whatever reason, you're here today. He's chosen you. Amen? Thank God for that. That's his mercy. That's his grace. Another example of this, we see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. There it is again. It's, it's klesis, a divine invitation to salvation and kaleo. You have been klesis with a kaleo. You have been invited to salvation with a loud call. He's called us out. He says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness. If you've been called to the high calling, and this is a high calling, the way that we respond is by learning to walk low, with lowliness, with gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then I love this, this next verse. It says, there's one, one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. You've been called one hope of your calling to this body, to this ecclesia. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's only one church. There's only one pure doctrine. And it wasn't your denominational doctrine, by the way. You know where the pure doctrine is found? Right here in God's word. Pure doctrine is found in the teaching of Jesus Christ, not the teaching of any denomination. And at any point where your denomination disagrees with what Jesus said, they're wrong. There's only one doctrine that matters. It's the doctrine of Christ. It's the word of God that matters. There's only one body. There's only one church. There's only one spirit. And you know what? We need to stop fighting within the church. And we need to do what Ephesians 4 tells us, to work to the unity of faith. Two things that, that hinder that, dogma and compromise. We can't be dogmatic to the point of excluding other believers, and we can't compromise with the believer, so-called believers that vary from what this word says. If we're dogmatic or if we compromise, we will never come to a point of unity. We've got to work, we've got to, he says endeavor, he says it right here in this, he says I want you to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit endeavor. It's going to take work. I have to endeavor to have a happy marriage. 
right? I have to endeavor to keep my kids working together. I've got three soon-to-be teenage boys, all three of them. You know, it takes work to keep teenage, three teenage boys in the same room, in the same car, to have unity. It takes work. We have to work. Iron sharpening iron kind of work. When we have disagreements, we don't fight and punch each other in the, in the face. We sit down and we reason together and we come to the, the, the knowledge of God's truth together. And we have to land where God's word lands when our opinions differ. There's only one body and God's called us to be a part of this body. I want to go back to the Old Testament prophet, the book of Joel. And I, I want to show you what I think is a, is a powerful truth. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says, and the, It shall come to pass afterward that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. White flesh. Brown flesh. Black flesh. Yellow flesh. Red flesh. And if you have dyed yourself in some color other than that, he can pour his spirit out on your flesh too. You know that the geologists, is that right? The people who work with rocks, did I get those terminologies? Yeah, geologists. They, they say that there are five colors of rocks, or, or of dirt. There's white dirt, black dirt, brown dirt, red dirt, and yellow dirt. We've got to remember we were dug up out of the dirt, every single one of us. And we're all the same. It does not, the, the, the tone of your melanin does not matter one difference in the eyes of God. It should not matter one bit of, and, and I don't think we should, I, I don't like to use the word ter, term colorblind. I, I think our, 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 our differences are to be celebrated. They're, they're, they, they, be, they, they paint this beautiful tapestry. Our culture and our, the place where we came from and our colloquialisms and all these things are not things to be ignored and to close our eyes at, to, close our ears to. No, there, there are things that, that make us different. And, it, and when we can bring you know, African music and Mexican music and Caucasian music and all these things together and we worship the king, that's a glorious sound. That's a kingdom sound. The church, the, when we get to heaven, it's not going to sound like a white church or a black church or a Hispanic church. It's going to be all nations, all kindreds, all tribes and all tongues worshiping together. So we better start right here. Get over your little uh, you know, favoritisms and your little uh, preferences, and we've, we've got to learn to worship God together. Amen? If, if we can't do it here, it'll never happen in our nation. The government will never bring solutions. I, I, I just got bad news on this front. The, the government will never, no matter what kind of uh, you know, presidential executive order or law is passed, we'll never be able to, to solve the problem of racism and hatred and bigotry. It's in the heart of sinful man. But the church has the power to overcome it. If it's going to get done, it's going to happen in the church. Amen. And we've got to strive towards it. He's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. And then he says, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Listen, there's no room. There, there's an order of God. Like in marriage, there's an order of God, right? The, the husband is the head of the wife. And Christ is the head of the wife. There's order in that, but there's no room for chauvinism in that. Husbands, we cannot dominate our wives. We have to love our wives and lead our wives. Not by, not by an iron fist. 
but we, we follow them as, uh, they will follow us as we follow Christ. As we set an example, as we lead, as, as we love them, they will follow us. We need to understand this, that in the kingdom there's neither male or female. Right? It says right here that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. People ask me all the time, I get this question, what do you think about women in ministry? This verse right here is resolution to that question. God uses men. God uses women. It settles it. Amen? We've got prejudice, male-female prejudice. And, and you know what? I, I, I don't, our, our masculinity and our femininity is important. We need to value that. We need to guard that. Men, we need to be men. Women, we need to be women. And we need to set an example. The world is confused. There's all this gender, what do they call it? I have this terminology for it now. I don't even, I hate it. Gender dysphoria. There is absolutely no gender dysphoria in the church. Men know their men and women know their women. Men have a call and women have a call. Men's call is unique and women's call is unique. Right? But we are equal in the sight of God. Amen? We need, that, we need a clear understanding. The, the, the enemy is trying to erode this in our, in our culture, but we need a clear understanding of this in the church. We need to stand for that. We need to stand for the virtues. God created us male and female. And that's where it ends. We need to stand with God's word. He's going to cause our sons and our daughters to prophesy. Then he says, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. That means those of you that are having birthdays today should dream dreams. See, that, that does away with the age prejudice. Young men are vital in the kingdom of God. Old men are vital in the kingdom of God. You know, I see too often we, we, we have pastors that, that they, they get older and then we, we put them out to pasture. And they, they get into this place where they're insignificant, inconsequential, not needed. And it's, it's a shame. It really is a shame. I had a pastor who told me this one time. He said, every time that an old person dies, it's like a library that burns down. I've learned as a, a young pastor that I need the older pastors in my life. They've got 40 years of living that I've never experienced 40, that's 40 years of experience. That's 40 years of hard knocks. That's 40 years of making some mistakes. And if I can sit down at a table with them, they can help me to avoid some of those mistakes, some of those hard knocks. They can give me wisdom that I haven't yet gleaned in this life. And so the old folks still have a, a, a place in, in the body of Christ. Young folks are vital. Yeah, we're young. We're wet behind the ears. We haven't got a lot of experience. I'm going to lump myself into this young category. We may not know what we're doing yet, but young, young person, there, there's, a, there's a place for you in God's kingdom. Then he says, you're, 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 uh, also my, my, my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days upon them as well. I heard, read, read this, actually, that, that there, in, this, in this phrase, men servants, maid servants, there's, there's actually... A, a cultural connotation to this, this, uh, this line here. It's, it's saying basically the wealthy and the poor. 
I'm going to pour my, my spirit out on, on, on them as well. If that be true, then this, this one verse right here, it takes of the race problem, the gender problem, the age problem, and the socioeconomic problem, all in one verse. What's the point? Doesn't matter who you are. You're a receptacle for God's spirit. Empty yourself out and allow God to fill you with his spirit. The church of Jesus Christ is comprised of every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. Every generation. You, you, some people have written off the millennials and the terminal generation or Gen Z. Not, not, not on your life would I dare write them off. Jesus is going to have a, a, a remnant in every single generation. There won't be a generation where God doesn't have a people. God is going to save millennials. God is going to save people out of uh, the, the Z generation. Every single generation. Every socioeconomic background. God is going to have a people rich and poor, black and white and Hispanic and Asian and young and old. God has people of all flavors, varieties and shapes and sizes. And he brings us together and he forms an ecclesia. What, for what purpose? Number one, the ecclesia is, and there's two of these today, not 13 like last week or the week before. There's only two. The ecclesia is a legislative body. That's the purpose of the church, to deliberate, to judge, and to govern. He says, I'm going to give you the keys to heaven, to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And you, some of you have been trying to, to bind your husband ever since. And loose your bank account. And all these types of things. That, that's not what he's talking about here. This, what, the phrase that Jesus is using here is, is about establishing his kingdom, his purposes, his, his laws, his statutes, his ways, being established on planet earth through your life. Wherever there's lawlessness, we can step in and we can bind and loose. These are legal terms. The Pharisees would have recognized these terms when Jesus used this terminology to, to bind and to loose. They would have recognized this terminology. We are here to push back darkness. Wherever darkness is trying to infringe on the kingdom of God, we are here to stand, to bind and loose and extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given to me, and now I send you with that same authority. To bind and to loose. It's about establishing the kingdom of God on planet Earth. That's why we're here. The ecclesia was a governing body. And they would be in every, every community. Excuse me, I'm a little dry today for whatever reason. They were, they were a governing body. And this, this ecclesia, we get terms like um, aristocrats or aristocracy. We get terms like uh, tyrants from this idea of the ecclesia. How many of you think, what, what do you think of when we say tyrant? A bad leader, right? That wasn't the original... Uh, connotation that you would get whenever you uh, thought of a tyrant back in, in the days of the Ecclesia. And eventually evolved that. Here's what a tyrant was. A tyrant, see, the, 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 uh, the, the Ecclesia was made up of really, the, in the Greek culture, the aristocracy, the, the wealthy, the well-to-do, the prominent in that society. And they would come together as the Ecclesia and they would make decisions that would govern the, the, um, the, the districts of Greece. 
was the aristocrats. That, that's where we get that word aristocrat. Crat means uh, government, and aristocracy, it's the, the wealthy, the influential. So it means to be governed by the wealthy and the influential. Democrat means to be, uh, demo means people, so that means to be ruled by the people. We're a democratic republic here in the United States. But the, when these aristocrats could not come to agreement about what they needed to do in affairs, they would bring in a tyrant, and that tyrant was a mediator, an arbitrator, who would come in and settle disagreements and tell the people what they ought to be doing. Here's how you ought to make this decision. They, they were known to be wise, to have good counsel, and say they were trusted to come in and settle disputes. And when, when the, the, where the world, word tyrant began to get its bad uh, connotation that we currently have is when the tyrant, would, when they were brought in, then they would refuse to give up the authority that had been given to them. And so they, they would begin to rule by tyranny, rule by the tyrant. So these are all terms that are ecclesiastical, the, the ecclesia, the, the government, and the, these are those types of terms. This is what God intended for his church to be. God's given you authority. You know the disruptions, the feuds, the fights that you see at work or in your home? As the called out people of God, I believe this, there's an anointing upon us to step into that and to bring righteous judgment. You can insert the word of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God into situations and circumstances, and you can change the whole culture of your workplace, your neighborhood, your household. I believe this is what we're called to do. And we, we have just basically, I believe in the church, basically given up our authority to be the people of God, to be salt and light, like Jesus has called us to be. God's called us to step out and speak with authority into situations and circumstances. That's the first purpose. Second purpose is the, the ecclesia was a, a body of influence. When they would gather, the ecclesia, they would gather at the gates, and whenever Greece would, would get a new um, colony, a new, new territory, they would send representatives to help form the ecclesia. They were, they were Grecians, and what they would do, those, those representatives were sent to that ecclesia to influence that new culture. In other words, the ecclesia was used to disciple the nations. They would purposely plant Grecians in the Ecclesia so those Grecians could influence that population towards the culture of Greece. Church, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Not once in Scripture are we ever commanded to change culture. The world is the world. It's always going to be the world. What we are called to do is to shine light in darkness and to have an, a divine influence on human souls. How do we establish the government? How do we work in this thing of binding and loosing? Every time that a human being comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is established in their life. The government of God is established in their life. They're transferred from, light, from darkness to light and we are establishing God's government on planet Earth. 
It's not political means like we know of in, in, in terms of government in the United States, voting. And, 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 and if you want to know what I think about that, go watch Wednesday night's um, midweek devotional. I, I did a, a devotional on the Christian and his relationship to his state. It'll tell you how we need to respond to our government. Biblically, it's from the scriptures. But our primary role here is not to try to change this world. It is to shine the light in darkness. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus came, this is Matthew 28. He says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? Be the ecclesia. Go out and influence the nations. Go out and be salt and light in the nations. Go and make disciples in the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's what we're here for, church. To make disciples. To extend God's government on planet Earth. And I just want to wrap up by saying this. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. How many of you saw this thing that's going on with these investors this week? A bunch of guys like me with not a lot of money got onto this thing called Reddit. They grouped up and they went and bought a bunch of stock that these uh, investors were trying to short sell. And those investors lost $19 billion. A bunch of guys with not a lot of money got together and they cost the guys with all the money a lot of money. If you, if you turn on the news these days, it's entertaining. All these things going on. I, I choose to see it as entertaining because otherwise I might cry. Seriously. The transgender issues, the, you, you name it. We can go through all this stuff. What about the economy? I was telling Hilton, I told the Hilton this yesterday. We ought to be like Noah when it comes to the economy. You know what Noah did? Noah liquidated his stock. When all, or he, he, uh, he, he, I'm sorry, he floated his stock when all the rest of the world was in liquidation. That's what we, the church, ought to do. If this whole economy blows up, I'm convinced that this, the church is still going to prosper. I believe what the, the Word of God says, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. We're going to prosper in hard times. We're going to prosper in persecution. We're going to prosper. When Jesus made this statement, and he said, listen, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. When he does this, you know where he's at? He's literally standing with his, to his back to the gates of hell. It's a geological formation in the mountain in Caesarea Philippi, the district of Caesarea Philippi. It's this geological formation called the gates of hell. And all kinds of witchcraft and abomination and what would be our cultural equivalent of abortions and all these things were practiced at the gates of hell. So how do we respond to all of this foolishness that we're seeing in the world? We stand and we say the gates of hell will not 
prevail against us. Jesus is the Son of God to the glory of the Father, and I'm going to preach his gospel. I'm going to extend his kingdom. I'm going to be the ecclesia, and I'm going to bind and loose and set in order the kingdom of God, and I'm not worried. This world may be raging. The gates of hell may be at my back, but I'm going to stand, and I'm going to establish the kingdom of Jesus. That's our response. We need an awakening. It's time for the ecclesia to rise. It's time for us to begin to pray, to fast, to give, to preach, to make disciples, to lay hands on the sick, to cast out devils, to bind and to loose, and to set God's kingdom in order. It's time for the church to be the church. Awaken, arise, go into action. Be who God has called you to be. Come out of darkness. Step forth and shine his light. Show forth the praises of him who has called you out. Show forth. Everybody say, show forth. Everybody wants God to show out. You know when God shows out? God shows out when we show forth. When we show forth the praises, he shows up and he shows out. That's what we're called to do. May we rid ourselves of all of the worry and all the panic that I see so many Christians Exhibiting all the fretting. No. If God before us, who in the world can be against us? What shall we say to these things? It's nothing. Who's in the White House is nothing. Who's in the State House? It's nothing. What, what, what edicts are being handed out? It's nothing. What's going on in the economy? It's nothing. What's going on in the pandemic? It's nothing. We're going to keep marching. We're going to keep advancing. We are the body of Christ. We are the ecclesia that Jesus is building and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. No government, no demon, no demagogue, nothing can come against God and his people. We are going to win. It's fixed. It's all been set up. It's rigged. We're going to win. Let's keep marching to the goal line. Amen. Praise God.